I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. The dating world can be difficult to navigate for most people, but for a woman with a variety of rare diseases, the dating world poses additional challenges. Chelsea Frund, author of The Sick and the Dating blog, thesickandthedating.com, chronicles her experiences looking for love while contending with both diagnosed and undiagnosed conditions. We spoke to Frund about her blog, the experiences she shared, and the advice she has for others in similar circumstances. Chelsea, thanks for joining us. We spend a lot of time on this podcast discussing the business, science, and policy around rare disease. We, we talk uh, about what the often long searches for diagnosis can be like and the, the challenges in managing a disease. We don't spend a lot of time discussing the social aspects and Today, we're going to talk about your blog, The Sick and the Dating, which is about looking for love when you've got a rare disease. Why don't you start by telling us about yourself as, as if this were a dating site? <laughs> um, well, I tell everybody, um, at least on my dating profiles, that I am outspoken and I'm a feminist and I am concerned with social issues. And then I start to get into the health stuff, and I talk about um, being allergic to everything feathered and furred. And then I kind of hint that I'm tethered to my apartment quite a bit. Well, you've got a, a variety of medical conditions, alopecia, which has left you bald, Hashimoto's, thyroiditis, fibromyalgia, and an undiagnosed condition that causes fluid to build up in your brain and requires you to have shunts. How has this figured into your dating life? <laughs> well, the idea for the blog actually came about um, when I found myself single and I had lost all of my hair. Um, my, I, was, I was with somebody in a loving relationship while I was going through the process of losing my hair. And so he saw me throughout the process, um, you know, going through this transition. So at the end of it, when I ended up completely hairless all over my body, as in, I don't even have to shave my legs hairless. Um, you know, I found myself single, and it totally changed my dating life. And some of the stories that I had just from single dates with people um, definitely left me with some interesting interactions. But um, having to reveal to men that I lost my hair and I probably won't ever get it back has flavored my interactions with them, too. So I might end up going out on five or six dates with a guy and then say, you know, by the way, um, my appearance is different from what you're used to seeing. I don't have any hair. And their reactions have fueled the story. And so now while I'm um, single still and bald, and by the way, I have this crazy rare disease that makes me look like Quasimodo if I'm up for too long, you know, it, it adds a whole different flavor to it. And so I had originally started writing when I was single and bald and dating. And now I'm single, bald, dating, and I have this crazy rare disease. 
Now, you wrote about one man you went on a half a dozen dates with and how you began kissing in the car one night, and he started to stroke your hair when you stopped him to explain that it was a wig and that you were bald before he discovered this on his own. You say he backed himself into the corner of his driver's seat as if he were, as if I was his aunt trying to French kiss him. <laughs> yeah. That ended the relationship. At, at what point do you bring your medical issues up with someone you're dating? Do you, do you tell them ahead of time now, or do you wait until it's relevant? Has this changed over time? Well, you know, I've had um, some very specific experiences that I think that a lot of people wouldn't um, just because of um, the baldness issue. And by the way, before we talk today, I did try to go to look to see how common the the alopecia universalis is because I haven't looked at that. I haven't looked at the statistics for a while, and I guess it's the rarest form. So um, I got a little bit of a double whammy with the, the rare diseases. But, um, you know, it used to be that I would really agonize over when to tell somebody, and that has changed over time because what I've discovered is that um, either men are going to be okay with it or they're not. It doesn't matter if you tell them before the first date or after a half a dozen dates, or somewhere in between, um, either they're going to accept it or not. Now, dating with this um, this unnamed rare disease has changed it too, because for obvious reasons, I have to tell them before we even step outside the door, because um, I can only be up for maybe about 30 minutes, and then my speech starts to slur, and my face starts to droop, my eyelids, um, I can't keep my eyelids open because they're paralyzed. And so, you know, I'd hate to end up, you know, um, some distance away from home, and then all of a sudden, you know, my symptoms come on, and, and like I said, I turn into Quasimodo, like my face droops, and my leg drags, and, you know, it's, it's not a fun date anymore. It, it turns into kind of a crisis. And, and many of your suitors have been generous enough to say they don't mind dating you in bed. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, right, which, you know, that's kind of a dichotomy, too. Um, part of me is like, okay, great, they're accepting of, of what's going on, but then the other part of me is like, well, you know, I am a whole person outside of bed. I, um, I realize that I have these physical difficulties, um, and I can't necessarily go out on, you know, movie dates or something like that, but I don't necessarily only want to visit to be seen in bed, either. You may have not found what you're seeking, but you've had no shortages of experiences dating as someone with a rare disease. What has the online dating world meant in terms of providing new opportunities to meet people? Oh, gosh. You know, I always say that I'm so grateful that I've had to go through all of these things with the Internet at our fingertips because that has definitely changed my life as a shut-in in general. Um, if I didn't have Internet access, I obviously wouldn't be able to write this blog to connect with you, to talk to other people with rare diseases, um, and to connect with people who don't have rare diseases that still might have other topics, conversation that they can talk to me about. You've used a, a variety of dating websites. Do, do you find anyone better for someone with a rare disease than another? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I had kind of high hopes for Match because um, my uncle, who is actually ill with stage 4 cancer, he said, oh yeah, you know, I had a great experience on Match.com and 
And I thought, well, okay, I can put a little bit more about myself in there, pay some money, and maybe meet some quality people. And, you know, honestly, not many people have talked to me or responded to me on Match. I've had more responses on OkCupid, but um, that being said, I usually get the men who want to show me their private parts (laughs) or just want to talk about you know, adult movies or something like that. And it gets kind of old because I am an entire person. I'm not just my disease, and I'm not just um, a sexual vessel. Well, you, you wrote about trying FetLife, a, a dating site for people with fetishes. There are actually a group of men on this website who like bald-headed women. What was that experience like, and, and did it provide any solution? Um. You know, the the solution for me was finding people who were accepting of me. Um, but the challenge is that on felt life, people really get focused on their fetishes. And it makes me a little bit uncomfortable because, again, I view myself as an entire person, not just one identity. And so um, I've met some, oh gosh, um, people who are really, really, just really into their fetishes. Like, And there's stuff out there that, I don't consider myself to be very close-minded, but, you know, there's people I've talked to who have been interested in having their teeth stomped out of their face. And, you know, they have this this thing about wanting to wear dentures, but they want to go through the process of having their teeth knocked out. And um, (laughs) that particular site is an eye-opener. It's also, you know... There are people who are not very open-minded about people in other groups, and I try to be. Um, I just recognize that those things aren't for me. Well, I, so, I also had to look up CBT on Urban Dictionary. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, so you cannot unsee that. <laughs> so I, I know you mentioned this a moment ago, but you've had to actually specify in profiles that you don't want men to send pictures of their genitals, which suggests that it is a frequent occurrence. Some of the exchanges you posted online are entertaining to read, but I think less so if I was actually receiving these. Do you ever use your illness to get rid of an online suitor? No. No. Um, but my my illness is a good litmus test of whether or not somebody's going to be able to handle everything about me rather than am I just providing a specific purpose for them for an evening. But you write about a, a, a tension at times, the, the struggle to overcome the, the negative voice inside you. I, I don't think this is unique to women with, with a rare disease, but you write, I am fully aware that a lot of the problem rests on my feelings of being unattractive and inadequate. My inner voice tells me that if they wanted me, then I must settle because that's as good as it gets. I am only worth men who control me or threaten to kill me or tell me they never want to want me to meet their parents or children. I should just be happy that they want to stick their penises in me. Of course, this isn't true, but that inner voice can be louder than anything else. What does it take to overcome that inner voice, and and what advice would you give to others on on how to do that? You know, um, I think it really helps to get outside of your head, because with these rare conditions or, or debilitating diseases, you really get stuck on the same recording. Um, it, and the only way to do that is to um, to do things like try to help other people, um, to, oh gosh, take your feelings 
outside of the equation and try to look at everything rationally. Um, I know it's not easy, but, um, you know, if you, if you give in to that inner recording, um, you are doomed. You, you also wrote on your blog, I realize that I'm not exactly a prize to date since I look more like Mr. Clean than Giselle with my bald head. It can be quite startling to see me without my wig on for the first time. I even joke that my dead father, the hairstylist, is rolling over in his grave because he has a bald daughter. Being rejected so many times over the last 20 years of dating during my major hair loss has made it difficult for me to make sound choices in partners sometimes ignoring my need to have a healthy relationship with a loving partner and settling for ass clowns instead. However, I'm getting much better at spotting bad behavior and cutting it off than I used to be. As I read through your blog, it seems like you are usually the one making the call not to continue seeing someone. How has your health affected your ability to get out of a bad relationship? Have you stayed in relationships longer than you should have because you somehow considered yourself damaged goods or that you'd have to sell for something less than you wanted? Yeah, you know, um, in my 20s, you know, obviously a lot of us do a lot of our growth as adults in our 20s. Um, we're, we're trying our boundaries out on the first, I, in, our, in our first um, foray into adulthood. And I was definitely guilty of staying with men who were not a good match for me for years longer than I should have. And now that I'm older and I'm dealing with all these health things, um, I still seem to have a bad penis picker, but I'm much better at putting my foot down and saying, I can't live like this, and you're really unhealthy for me, and um, and we're done. Um, there was a gentleman who I've gone out with on two dates, and we've had some good long conversations and stuff. And I honestly don't know where it's leading because we have some some barriers, but, um, you know, he, he asked me, he said, are you usually the, the heartbreaker? And I said, well, yeah, but, you know, it's not, it's not because I'm scared or um, I don't think that I can grow with a person um, simply because of me. I think that it's a bad relationship, and that's why I end it. Do you hear from other women with rare diseases who feel that way, stay in bad relationships or date men, they rather not because they feel that's the best they can do. How much of a, a challenge is it for self-esteem and, and for self-image? It's, it, oh gosh, it's very challenging for self-image and self-esteem. Um, you know, honestly, the, the women that I get feedback from, um, they're all around my age range. Some of them are maybe like a decade younger than me. But you're 41? Them, yeah, I'm 41. Yeah, and all of them are telling me that they have just completely given up on dating. And that's kind of sad to me, too, because, you know, even though I have this very challenging physical stuff going on, um, I still feel like I have enough emotional support to be able to offer to someone else. And I have a very real need to be held and loved just like any other adult. But it's always the women who tell me that they've given up. I've never heard that from men. Um, and I think that men recognize that women are inherently raised to be caregivers much more frequently than the other way around. Well, we should mention while you have all these different diagnoses, you're, you're still searching for 
for a diagnosis for, for one of your diseases, yeah. and your search for a diagnosis and, and a doctor who could provide for your needs has been no easier than your search in your dating life. In right. fact, you, you make a comparison to it. You you write, I've gone on a hell of a lot of blind dates, and I've gone on to a hell of a lot of doctors. I no longer get butterflies for either. I no longer have feelings before I meet them of maybe this will be the one. Nearly all of them have broken my heart. Where are you on your search to find the medical answers you seek? Um, you know, I, I kind of hit another wall. Um, I moved up to Minneapolis after living in other states um, just this past June. June 21st is when I landed back in my home state after being gone for 20 years. And, you know, part of the hope was that I would be able to see these doctors in the Minneapolis and St. Paul area and I would have better connections to the Mayo Clinic, um, better resources, because the state that I lived in when I got sick really is just, um, is, it doesn't have many social safety nets set up. And so when I got here, I started going to appointments, and I kind of ran into the same thing. I was being stonewalled and, and basically being told that they've never seen anything like this before, and please don't ever come back again. And I realized that, you know, there are some daunting things about my illness um, that nobody understands, but um, that's, you know, it, <laughs> it happens a lot more frequently than I was hoping for, especially in a state that seems to have a lot more resources compared to where I came from. And I was even turned away from the Mayo Clinic, um, at my count, five times total. And they specifically said in a letter to me, it's because I'm too rare to diagnose and too rare to treat. And so the biggest clinic in the U.S. has ultimately said, um, you're too scary. We can't handle you. And we don't want you to come here. And so I've had to look for um, areas outside of my state, which is a challenge because I have medical assistance and medical assistance limits me to the state where I live. And so now I have to find these other places that might take me, but then I have to find a doctor who will take me on and help me negotiate with the state of Minnesota to pay for bills outside of the state of Minnesota. So it's it's really challenging. And phone calls and um, coordinating that you wouldn't necessarily have to do if you actually had a diagnosis. I, I want to read one last blurb from from a recent entry. You wrote, Today a good friend posted a surprising quote from a Christmas Eve church service. Lord, touch us where we need to be touched. Amen to that. I mean, that's almost exactly word for word the prayer that I say before each date. Well, okay. Mine is a little more elaborate. Lord, please let him have clean teeth, pleasant breath, an unsloppy kiss, magic hands, a great personality, and recently bathed bits. You've written about how what you want in a mate has changed over time, partially from having lived with men. What do you want today? Well, that was a recent prayer, so I'm, <laughs> I'm going to say that that is my, <laughs> my most recent list. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I used to wish for guys who didn't have hairy backs. Now I really don't give a rip if he's nice to me. <laughs> well. Hoping you, you find whatever you're looking for. Chelsea Fron, author of The Sick and the Dating Blog, which can be found online at 
lipstickandthedating.com. Chelsea, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.